Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Beginning in Titus chapter 2, verse number 1, Titus is being instructed by the Apostle Paul that he is to preach on how a believer ought to live his life. He'll say in verse number 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And we said that doctrine is what we believe, but sound doctrine is how we behave. And we made this statement that just don't say what you believe, but show me what you believe by how you live. We are not saved by our works. Amen. We, we're going to mention that in a moment, but the grace of God, it is not of works. It is by grace through faith, not of works as any man should boast. Aren't you glad salvation ain't by works? Because you'd always be wondering, had you done enough? Had you done enough good works? Had you done enough good deeds? But I'm so glad it is by God's amazing grace. And this verse, it is amazing grace for the grace of God that bringeth salvation. The only way that I'm saved this morning is because God's grace was brought my direction. Amen. And then it only is amazing grace but it is appearing grace in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. That little word appeared, it gives the idea of stars becoming visible. And we made this statement that we don't see stars until the night is full of darkness. And aren't you glad in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of your depravity, in the darkness of your wickedness, the grace of God begin to shine in your life. You may have been raised in church your whole life. You may have never been out in the world, but you were still in the darkness of sin. Oh, but God's grace was still shining your direction. So it's amazing grace in verse 11. It is appearing grace in verse 11, but it is all grace in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I'm so glad that the grace of God, the salvation uh, that this Bible propagates is not willing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to repentance. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody said, well, uh, what about these people? The preacher mentioned it. Uh, they, believe, they believe in Calvinism uh, or, or Reformed theology where uh, some get in and some don't get in. It's amazing. Every one of those those guys that believe that are always the ones that got in. Yeah, and their family. Maybe their mother-in-law didn't get in, but all them got in. I mean, I, it's just amazing how that works. They never point out their wife or their daughter and say, now I'm of the elect, oh, but they are not. 
And so, I'm glad that God's grace is for all men. Thank God for that this morning. I'm glad it doesn't matter if you're 5 or you're 55. I'm glad God's grace can reach further down uh, than you can reach up. It is amazing grace. It is appearing grace, but it is all grace. Thank God for His grace this morning. This is God's grace that saves us. But our text this morning is teaching us a principle. Honestly and contextually, he mentions the grace of God and salvation, but his point begins in verse number 12. There is a comma at the end of verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Comma means he's continuing the thought. Watch verse 12. Teaching us. What is teaching us? The grace of God that hath appeared to all men. So grace not only saves me, but it schools me. Or it sanctifies me. The same grace that saved me is the same grace that schools me or sanctifies me. And I want to preach on this thought this morning. The guidelines of grace. The guidelines of grace. You see, the grace of God teaches me how I ought to live a life. That, that word teaching there, it gets the idea of discipline. How we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves, the guidelines. I'll say this this morning. I do not do these things and I do not do these other things to be saved. Can I get an amen out of that? But I am to do these things and I am not to do these other things because I am saved. I, we often say this, boy, of the grace of God made a difference in my life. How many has heard somebody say that before? Maybe you said that yourself. Nobody's heard anybody say that. How many has heard that before? Hold your hand up. Make sure you're away. And so the grace of God will say, it made a difference in me. But I submit to you this morning, if the grace of God made a difference in your life, then your life ought to be different. There's a lot of people who want to claim, boy, God's grace made a difference, but they ain't no different. According to my text and according to my scripture, the grace of God that saved me teaches me how, to, how I am to live my life after I am saved. I see three things in this text this morning. First of all, in verse number 12, there is a precept that we must receive. Look at your Bible, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I wrote this down. Grace teaches me how to live. You see, this precept I must receive is that grace teaches me how to live. Now watch what the text says. Teaching. That's an I-N-G. That's a continual process going on. He is still working on me. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good words which God before ordained that we should walk in them being confident of this very thing that He which has begun a good work in you He will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad He's still working on us? It is a process teaching us. What is it teaching us? Well, it's teaching us two things in verse number 12. First of all, it's teaching us there are some things we should deny. Look at verse number 12 again. Teaching us that denying. Once again, I-N-G on that word deny. We are continually denying. You know what we have to learn to do? We have to continually learn to say no to sin. To say no to our flesh. 
The word denying here, it means to disown, meaning that we're to have no part of this life anymore. Why? Because of grace. I don't have to live that life anymore. Why? Because God's grace made a difference. And if God's grace made a difference in my life, made a difference in my life, then my life ought to be different. And so I'm to deny some things. You know, some people that will teach and some preachers that will teach, even in this town, they'll teach uh, that the grace of God will allow you to live however you want to live your life, uh, that God's grace is a license to sin. They may not say it like that, uh, but and I'm glad there's forgiveness. Amen. I'm glad there's mercy. Psalm 130 said, If thou shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. I'm glad He said, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse from all the right. I thank God for that this morning. Uh, but that is not a license to sin. I am not to do what the false prophets did in the book of Jude by turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and use it as a crutch to get by. But thank God there is grace, but I shouldn't abuse God's grace. He lays out two specific areas that God's grace teaches us to deny. First of all, ungodliness. Teaching us that denying ungodliness... The word ungodliness in a couple of dictionaries I read this week, one defined it as a lack of reverence or respect for God. Webster said that ungodliness is defined as wickedness, a disregard of God and His commandments. It gives the idea ungodliness of those things that are offensive to God. You know, we're living in a day where everybody gets offended. Not just in the real world, but even in the church where everybody gets offended about something. And it's amazing. Everybody's got their feelings up on their shoulders, but nobody ever thinks about the Lord's feelings. Nobody ever thinks about the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we're to grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. And He is so grieved in our churches today. And He was so bothered because this one won't talk to this one. And this one won't fellowship with that one. And you get these things in your heart. And what they do, they hinder. It's ungodliness. In fact, the Word of God teaches us that those men that crept in unawares in, Jude, in the book of Jude were ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. I tell you, there's a lot of ungodliness going on in the world today. There's a lot of ungodliness going on in the church today. I'm talking about un- things that are opposite of God. Yeah. Amen. Y'all ready for me to preach a little bit? I mean, I know what weak it is. I know what, I know what weekend it is. And I, I'm not going to let it go by without saying that a Christian has no business observing Halloween. A church, I mean, I don't care what they call it, trunk or treat. Brother Charles said the other night, they can call it trunk or treat if they want to, but we all know what the trunk stands for. Amen. You need to keep your junk in the trunks, what you need to do. Amen. I can't help it that parents are so cheap they won't go buy their kids candy. Amen. We give out candy every week here. Amen. And somebody said, do y'all have people dressed up? Yeah, we got a lot of hypocrites dressed up around here. Oh, that's just, Baptists have been doing that for years. Amen. But I'm telling you, I, I've never understood. I, I, I'm not talking about somebody that don't know, that ain't never been taught. I understand that. And that's where the church comes in and good Christians come in and teach them. But I'm talking about people that's been in church 30 and 40 and 50 years that are still observed. They decorate their house and death and ghosts. And, and I'm telling you, Faith, North Carolina, man, you ride down my road, I mean, it looks like it looks like Friday the 13th. I'm just a bunch, of, bunch, a bunch of foolishness and a bunch of sin out there. And I'm telling you, a Christian has no business celebrating that. 
Well, I want my kids to dress up. Well, they don't have to dress up one day of the year. Amen. Most of our kids are a bunch of ghouls anyway. Somebody help me, all right? Especially a teenager, they walk around looking like a zombie all the time. Uh, you know, talk like one and everything. I don't know why Brittany looks at me when I say things like that, like I'm talking about her. I mean, she is the only teenager in my house, but that doesn't mean I'm talking about her. <laughs> Amen. Y'all help me out this morning. And, 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 and well, preacher, I just don't see nothing wrong with it. I like one preacher said, Christian celebrating Halloween is about like Satan celebrating the resurrection. Help me now. Well, I like for them to dress up and look cute and everything. I, buy, buy their, do like we do. Buy the Batman and Robin and Superman outfit the day after, amen, when it goes on sale. But I'll tell you, sending our kids out there to celebrating a day that is nothing, about, uh, nothing more than about death and demons and wickedness and idolatry. Well, I don't, sell, I don't observe all that, preacher. Yeah, but your neighbor don't know that and your preacher don't know that. Denying ungodliness. This is my one slot to preach this week, so it's okay, all right? Amen. Cheer up. It gets worse. Denying ungodliness. Well, if, if you have experienced the grace of God in your life, you ought to deny ungodliness. It's not just Halloween, but that's, that's what's on the table this week. There's a lot of ungodliness gets in our heart, a lot of wicked thoughts, wicked deeds, things we watch, things we listen to, things we wear, how we conduct ourselves. It is against God. Help me now. I mean, let's just be honest. What if you saw your preacher wearing some of the things you wear out in public? What if you saw your pastor's wife, ma'am, wearing some of the things you wear out in public? Wouldn't you have a problem with that? Wouldn't that bother you a little bit? I'm talking about ungodliness. What if, what if you saw your preacher sitting down at a bar drinking somewhere? Amen. Wouldn't that bother you? What, what if you saw your preacher lighting up a cigarette? You'd say, oh, he must have been over at Miss Janice's house. That's what, that's what you would think. No, what I'm saying, amen, what I'm saying this morning is what's good, good for the goose is good for the gander. And we don't have, God don't have a set of rules for this person, this person. He has one book and he tells us all to deny ungodliness. Watch what he says also. He said then denying ungodliness and worldly lust. That's unholiness. God's great. Y'all still with me? Surely you wouldn't get mad about the preacher preaching on Halloween. Amen. I, I'm, I, and bring your Bible. I mean, you can't prove it to me. Amen. I'm telling you, it, it, everything about it is wicked. It is wicked. And churches that want to... I'm not against having a fall festival or something like that. Or, or I, I even know some friends of mine, they'll have an alternative thing on Halloween night. I think that's wonderful to keep the kids off the street and give an alternative. But I don't think churches ought to be dressed up like ghost houses and haunted mansions and things like that. And I don't think churches ought to be dressed up and be a part of that, much less Christians. Amen. And so, moving on. Unholiness. He said worldly lust. The Bible said for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's worldly lust. The Bible said ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He said if you're going to be a friend of the world, he said you're God's enemy. There are some things we should deny. Denying these things. We gotta to learn to say no to sin. We all have the preacher quoted it in Hebrews twelve, we're to lay aside every way and the sin which does so easily beset us, indicating we probably all have at least one. Maybe multiple. And we're to lay aside those things. 
That's so easy. But what is he saying? He said, deny them. Say no to them. Here's what one man said. God has not called us to live like everybody else. He's called us to live like Him. Well, preacher, you're just trying to get me uh, to, to adhere to your standards. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm trying to get us to line up with that book. Because if we'll line up with that book, we'll be right. Amen. This, this is the law of God. This is what we live our lives by. Amen. And to give you another verse, Ephesians talks about we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's black and white. Some of it's even in red. So he teaches me how to deny some things. But then, y'all still with me? He teaches me all the same. Some, only teaches me that I'm to, there are some things I should deny, but there are some things I should do. Watch what he says. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's an expectation in this verse. We should live. You know what Paul's expecting? Paul is expecting that if you have experienced the grace of God in verse number 11, you should live in verse 12. Now, we're not preaching a, a, a work salvation, but I am preaching a salvation that works. Amen. I'm preaching a salvation that produces something. The preacher said it right. It's almost like he's been listening to me preach the last few weeks. God works from the inside out. So if God has worked something in, Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the expectation that we should live. There's an explanation. Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Soberly. What does that mean? Well, it not only gives the connotation of not giving to alcoholic beverages. Amen. That's still, that's still a sin. Amen. But it also gives the idea of a sound mind. The grace of God teaches that I can live a blessed life without giving in to the wicked passions and desires of my heart and mind. In other words, I don't have to have sin to enjoy life. I don't have to have, like the preacher said, Bud Stupid or Bud Dumber or Middle Low Life or alcohol to make my life better, but you can actually enjoy life without having all of that. So soberly. John Phillips said this speaks of the gravity that should be ours. A call to live soberly is a call to exercise self-control over the passions and desires of our heart. He's going by it. You tell yourself, no, you have some temperance. By the way, that is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We're to be filled with the Spirit, have self-control, have some temperance about us. Keep my body and I bring it under subjection. I'm to live soberly. Look on the verse. I'm to live righteously. This speaks of a call of goodness manward. We are to do what is right at all times, at all costs, on all counts. The Bible said in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6, He that saith he abideth in him. In other words, this man says he's saved. Ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In other words, here's what John's saying. John's saying, if you say you're saved and you abide in Him, then you are to walk as He walked. Now, we'd all agree this morning that Jesus was righteous. Jesus is righteous. So we're to walk righteously. 
How are we to do that? Well, there's an example of that. Luke chapter 1, verse number 5 and 6, teaches us about Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are the parents of John the Baptist. And here's what the Bible said about them in Luke chapter 1, verse number 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking, all, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. In other words, Zacharias and Elizabeth teaches us we can live a righteous life by living in obedience to the Word of God. Now, we are reminded that we have no righteous in of ourselves. The Bible said, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. That is my standing before God. But in my progressive sanctification, for me to live a righteous life, for me to do right, I have to obey the commandments. I'm not talking about just the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the law of God as a whole in the Word of God. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light in my path. Wherewithal shall young men cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to live a righteous life. I'm live soberly, righteously. Watch the next one. And godly in this present world. This speaks of the fact that we are to live our life like Jesus. As I said a moment ago, God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like Himself. Holiness is nothing more than conformity to the character of God. He did say in 1 Peter 1, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So there is a precept we must receive. Secondly, in verse number 13, there is a perception we must retain. I'm talking about the grace of God teaching. You see, in verse 12, that precept I must receive, grace teaches me how to live. But in verse 13, this perception I must retain, grace teaches me how to look. Watch what he says. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I won't spend a lot of time here because I preach it so much, but I believe in verse number 13 there are two separate comings in this verse. First of all, there is the rapture of the church. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. I believe that is the rapture of the church. There is anticipation, looking. There is awaiting, looking for. That means an expectation. There is assurance, looking for that blessed hope. That word hope there don't mean, I hope that Georgia beats Missouri Saturday like they beat Florida. <coughs> Excuse me, like they beat Florida. Uh, yes, it's some cigarettes Miss Janice gave me. Uh, like they beat Florida yesterday. That's not what that word hope means. That word hope hope there. It means a confident expectation. In other words, here's what Paul said. I am looking for that blessed confident expectation. I am looking for that blessed hope. Paul said, I know He is coming again. And aren't you glad we have that hope this morning? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. i got buddies of mine trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Well, Brother Joe Arthur said he heard one preacher say uh, that he pretty much preached and knew who the Antichrist was. And Brother Joe said, how do you know that? He said, I've been married to his sister for 40 years. But anyway, I don't know about that. That's between that preacher and his wife. But what I am saying this morning, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. 
My attention is not on Russia. My attention is not on North Korea. My attention is not even on Washington. I know all that's happening. I know all that thing is setting up. But he didn't tell me to look to Russia. He didn't tell me to look for the Antichrist. But here's what Paul said. I am looking for that blessed hope. I am looking for Jesus. Oh, we sung it in the choir. Just any day now, our Lord is coming. You know how I know that? Grace told me He's coming. I got. I got to hurry. I'm at 23 minutes, and let me let me give you this. I, I've given it before, but I believe it'll emphasize the point. The Bible teaches us that the, when we got saved, that the Holy, that God gave us the Holy Spirit as the earnest. Ephesians one talks about that. It is the earnest. Well, we know what earnest money is. And I heard Brother Jack Tripp give this illustration, and I like it. And I'm not gave it since Wednesday night, so I'm gonna give it again. Amen. But what what does that mean? Well. Take a fella, go buy a car dealership, and he sees a car that he likes. And what I mean, I don't know. Let's just say, let's say it's a, let's go in Trump a Trump economy. Let's say it's an eight eight thousand dollar car, not brand new, a used car, about eight thousand dollars. And and uh, that man's interested in that car. And uh, he said, "Well, you take for it, you know, give him that." And and he said, "Well, look," he said, "I'm going to give you some earnest money today, and I'm going to come back tomorrow and get it." So that man reaches in his wallet and he pulls out $5 and gives it to the car salesman on an $8,000 car. And so that, I mean, that's earnest money. So that man leaves and another man stops by and he's looking at that same car, $8,000. And that man says, is that car for sale? He said, it, he said, it is. He said, a man gave me some earnest money on it though. He said, but he didn't give me much. He said, I really don't think he'll be back. That $5 don't mean he's serious. But if that man had pulled, said, you know what, I want that car and I'm going to put $1,000 down. And I'll come back tomorrow and pay for it. That salesman ain't going to sell that car up to that man. Why? He's got too much invested. He's got too much invested in that car not to come back for what he's invested in. Well, when we got saved, he gave us the earnest of the Spirit. You know why I know he's coming back? He's got too much invested. He's got too, if he just left two dollars, I wouldn't expect much. Oh, but he's got too much invested in me. In the earnest of the Spirit. Thank God he is coming again. How do I know that? Grace taught me that. There's the rapture of the church, but then there is the revelation of Christ or the return of Christ. Here's why I believe it's two separate events because of that little word and. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I believe, in fact, if you want to get technical about it, we see all three advents of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Jesus showing up in Bethlehem. And then verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. That's the rapture. And then in verse number 13, And that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I said, Preacher, what is all that saying? Well, that first time He came, He came in a manger. The second time He comes, He's going to come in a moment. And the third time He's come, He comes to set up the millennium. Amen. And I'm glad that I'm a part of all three of those. I'm glad Jesus is coming again. The rapture will take place. The tribulation period to begin for seven years on the earth. At the end of the tribulation period, Revelation 19 verse 11 up through 16 takes place. And the Lord comes out riding on that white horse. And the armies which are in heaven follow Him clothed in white garments, white linen and clean. That's us, praise God. And He's going to defeat
beat the Antichrist and he's going to cast the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire and the devil will be cast in the bottomless pit for a thousand years and then he'll sit on the throne of his father David and he'll begin to rule and reign and then at the end of that thousand years the devil will be brought by that bottomless pit he'll be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity and all those souls who rejected Christ and who rejected the gospel they'll be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity oh but thank God I'll not be in that number but I'll be in that blood washed band why? because the grace of God hath appeared unto me and I received it by faith how do I know that? grace taught me there's a precept I must receive there's a perception I must retain and then and I'm debating about preaching all this this morning uh I'll go ahead and give it to you. I'm only pre- I ain't preaching again until next Sunday. Verse 14, let me give this to you finish out the chapter. There is a pardon I must remember. Now remember, the context of all this, the main thing of all this, is speaking those things which become sound doctrine. So it's teaching me how to live. I'll live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. While I'm doing that, I'll be looking for the blessed hope. But here's what, Jesus, here's what John said, Every man that hath this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. So grace is teaching me to live right because at any moment Jesus could come. Do we believe that? I'm going to tell you how. So I know, I'll tell you what else will help us to live right is that part and we must remember. Look at verse 14. The preacher preached it this morning who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying himself of peculiar people zealous of good works. In this verse, there's a personal sacrifice who gave himself for us. Brother Travis, I'm glad he gave himself for the world. But I love that little word he used there. Who gave himself for us. That includes me. That includes you. That includes my children. That includes the wicked sinners. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even want to be around uh, the vilest sinners uh, that we think society has rejected. He gave himself for us. A personal sacrifice. But then there's the purpose stated. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. From all iniquity. Why did he give himself? So he might redeem us. The word redeem gives the idea of retail. Making a purchase. We were bought, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Acts chapter 28. We were, or chapter 20 verse 28. We were purchased with his blood. That word redeem also gives the idea of a ransom. That a debt that was owed had been paid. And now the debt has been paid. And that word redeemed is the idea of being released. I am no longer bound, but I am free. If the Son therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. I quoted that wrong for years, Brother Richie. I quoted that if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's not what the text says. To be set free means you have a past. To be, but to be made free means you've always been free means you have no past anymore but you've been made free I, I'm not fussing to anybody somebody said well justified means justified had never sinned although the Billy Mitchell said that word justified means justified is never a sinner when God looks at me thank God he doesn't see me but he sees the sacrifice and the righteousness of his son there's the, pers- the personal sacrifice the purpose stated the purified sinners he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying himself of peculiar people. That word purify means to make clean. Don't it feel good to be clean? Don't it feel good to have 
Your sin debt paid for. I understand we all get things in our heart. By the way, even after we get saved and sin gets in our heart, don't it feel good to get right with God? And get that, just get that burden off, get that, that weighty conviction off and get right with God. Some of you may need to do that today. Confess something, get something right with God and get that weight off of you. Amen. Y'all saw that, I called it. Amen. Purify himself. A peculiar... And then, watch this now. Not only the personal sacrifice and the purpose stated, the purified sinners, but watch this. Passionate service. Zealous of good works. Now remember... Our context begins in chapter 2, verse 1. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. How does he want me to live? He wants me to live a zealous life, zealous of good works. That word zealous means a burning desire. You remember when Jesus walked into that temple and started flipping tables over and running out the money changers? You know what they quoted? The zeal of my house hath eaten me up. What, what was that? It's 1152. I'm about done. What was that? Jesus walked into the temple of God, Brother, Brother William, and it was defiled. There were people there that were using the temple of God for their personal benefit. It was not against the law to sell sacrifices at the temple because people traveled far. But what these people were doing, they were, they were selling sacrifices that were not acceptable, and they were hiking the prices up on to make a profit. So, so what, what is this in this text? What, what did Jesus do? He saw that temple, he saw the wickedness of it, and he walked in and he was zealous about it and said, I need to clean this temple up. I want to remind us that my body, that your body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am to be zealous of good works. So that means I ought to be passionate about cleaning my life up. Keeping my temple clean. Making sure I'm not using my temple, my body, for my own personal benefit and gain. But I'm to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are God's. Is that not right this morning? And watch what he says in verse 15, because Paul knew he'd be preaching to Baptist. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority... Let no man despise thee. You know what Paul's telling Timothy here? He said, Timothy, you preach like that. You preach that God's grace is going to teach you to live denying godliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously in God in this present world and be zealous of good works. You preach on that, they're going to despise you. They're, going to try, they're not going to like that. He said, but you speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. What is my authority this morning? Josh Montgomery? No. What is my authority this morning? Of myself? No, my authority... Is this King James Bible? That's what Titus' authority was. We all agree this morning that God's grace has made a difference in our life. Can we say amen to that? Then, if that's the case, our lives ought to be different. As we stand for prayer this morning, I appreciate your attention. Brother Matthew's going to come play a verse of invitation. Perhaps God has spoke to your heart this morning.